Welcome everybody to another edition of the Thoughts of RS podcast. Been a tremendously long time, hasn't it? Been through quite a few incarnations and now we're at another podcast home. So thanks to Ramon Malpica for providing that uh, home for us. I've, I've got some some future podcasts lined up. I have even I have an interview set for next week. So you're going to probably be hearing more. So. For those of you that have never heard me before other than fight heads, it'll be some boxing today and a little bit of Cleveland sports today, but I like to mix it up. I like to do some different things other than just sports. So if you're coming from the boxing aspect and you've never heard the show before since it kind of went away, it'll be a little different for you, I suspect, but um, hopefully you'll at least find it somewhat thought-provoking and somewhat entertaining. Um... Before I get too far along, I'm doing this at 4 a.m. at the road office, and we are having a major league issue with the heat. So every time the furnace kicks on here, it sounds like I'm sitting in the middle of an airport. And not the quiet airport either. I'm talking like right beside the jet engines. So I'll either... You may hear a different, uh, a few abrupt cuts in sound because I may try to uh, ride out the storm when it kicks on and wait for it to kick off again. Or if I decide to just go ahead and go with it, if it gets a little loud, my apologies in advance, it will eventually go away. Um, I want to talk a little bit about last week in boxing. Uh, if you saw the uh, the blog at thoughtsofrs.com, blogspot.com. You could have read other thoughts of mine, but I wanted to talk just a little bit about Deontay Wilder because everybody that has heard on Fightheads and and Ramon and I have each had our own uh, issues with being busy over the last few weeks, so uh, hopefully we'll get to do a, a Fighthead soon. But everybody's heard me criticize Deontay Wilder on, on that show. And the funny thing was, is I picked Deontay Wilder to win, even though I really didn't think that he was the better fighter. I had heard, there was a, an article, and I can't remember the gentleman's name, but it was by a guy that's pretty well-respected boxing, that wrote a very long and very incisive article on why he thinks, or why he thought, Wilder and Ortiz was going to be a fixed fight. I didn't really believe that. At least I maybe I'm just naive uh, with the sport that I love. But what I thought would happen would be I thought Wilder would fight Ortiz the way he fought uh, Bermain Stavern, which was basically sticking out the jab and skipping around the ring. He didn't quite do that. And I know a lot of people are comparing Wilder Ortiz to Joshua Klitschko from last year. I I don't really make that comparison other than a younger fighter showed a lot of courage getting off the floor to knock out a very good older fighter. Although, except for Wilder didn't go on the floor. He did everything but uh, in the seventh round. Um, But other than a few rounds... You know, and I'm thinking maybe uh, the fifth, I think, is when Wilder floored Ortiz, and then the seventh, and there was another round that was pretty interesting, and of course the tenth. 
there's a lot of slow rounds in that fight. And and I, I just got I just something tells me that that's how Wilder's gonna fight against guys that he think have the ability to hurt him. The brown the the what everybody likes about Wilder is the the wild punches and the going for broke style. He doesn't do that as much against top competition, and I'm not trying to say that he should. Uh, to be honest with you, top quality opponents are going to have a real shot at picking their shots and picking him apart on counters, and, and he does leave himself wide open. And Ortiz was pretty successful doing that. And I had Ortiz ahead. I don't know what fight the judges were watching to have Wilder ahead. Now, you could make an argument maybe after after the 10th round he might have been ahead had Ortiz survived. But to have Wilder up by one point at the end of nine, I I think the judges definitely, at maximum, they they missed it or... On the other side, you could argue that maybe that fellow that wrote that article was right. Maybe that they had already had their minds made up before they started. Because I, I just don't see any way that Wilder was up by one point. But he proved a lot to me. He got, you know, I mean, he took a pounding in that round seven. And, and he was kind of saved by the bell. But you know what? Sometimes in boxing, you got to have that kind of luck. Sometimes you have to have that kind of luck in order to get by. And and he got it. The, the the one round that Ortiz seriously hurt him, he had to weather the storm for thir- for forty five seconds to a minute. Sometimes it happens in boxing. It's all in Saved by the Bell became Saved by the Bell for a reason. Um, I know everybody wants Wilder Joshua now. I'd be amazed if we saw Wilder Joshua now. Uh, I, I I just and, and I would be really amazed if Wilder fought fought any kind of breathing competition before that fight. I think he, him and Al Heyman have looked at it as they've uh, climbed the mountain that they had to climb to gain some credibility within the boxing community. To that Wilder is a serious guy. I think he's a flawed guy, but he, at least he is a deserving contender. I, I certainly think Wilder Joshua is worth seeing and worth pursuing, but I think you're going to see a whole bunch of the cupcake tour before that fight happens with Wilder. Uh, I think they're being unrealistic to think that they're the 50-50 draw that they appear to believe they are. I think they're unrealistic in thinking Joshua's going to come to America, to America for it. He's the money man. He's the guy that brings the, you know, he who uh, has the gold generally calls the shots. I think that fight will eventually happen, and it'll happen over there. And I don't think Wilder has much more than a puncher's chance. I, I think, ironically, I just don't see how Wilder wins the fight. And here, here goes off the airplane engine. So uh, if, if uh, sound gets a little worse, I apologize. Uh, I, I think if he fights the big banger, I'm aggressive, charging in, I think he's uh, meat on Joshua's platter, and I think Joshua takes him out fairly easily. But yet, I think if he tries to box and stay away, I don't think that's going to be necessarily effective against Joshua. I think it's just going to be a long, boring fight. So I, I really don't see a way Wilder beats Joshua unless he uncorks that right hand. He does have the eraser. That's the advantage that he, do, he does have in most fights. And Joshua has been knocked down before by Klitschko and Dylan White. So that could happen. At the same time, let's, uh, let's be honest and 
I, I, other than one big bomb, I don't see that happening. But give Wilder credit. I did not. I picked him tentatively because I figured he would he would run, and I thought he'd get a bad decision. But instead, he managed to do what you need to do. He got the win. He got a W against a top three, top four heavyweight. Can't take it away from him. Proved a lot. Still has a lot left to prove. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and hit the pause button now until the next time this flies away <laughs> because it's bugging the hell out of me while I try to do this. Hope that sounds a little better. Um, so that that's kind of where I stand on Deontay Wilder. I, I, full credit for surviving. Full credit for a huge win. Still has a lot to prove in my book. And I would bet you're going to see the, uh, the Al Heyman tour start until he gets the Wilder fight. I would bet... That uh, it'll be Dominic. I, I would bet money that it's Dominic Brazil is going to be next. I he's high in the WBC, which is where Wilder's the champion. He's going to. Uh, there's a backstory there from a uh, type from a Wilder defense in Birmingham where Wilder got into it with a Brazil's brother or something. There, there's a backstory there. Brazil's a high enough contender in WBC. They're both Al Heyman fighters. I, I, I suspect. That it'll be Dominic Brazil next, and that might be interesting uh, to a certain degree. Brazil has uh, been erratic in his pro career, but he he fought respectably. I thought against Anthony Joshua when Joshua knocked him out, and it'll be a good barometer to see how Brazil would do against Wilder after uh, how he handled uh, after how he fared against Anthony Joshua. I believe, if I had to guess, that's my guess for who's next. That it, it would be that that would be my guess. It, it's just too easy a fight to make. I, I suppose another possibility, when I'm looking at the WBC rankings, uh, if they decide to make it a mandatory fight, it would be Dylan White, who, that would be an interesting fight, because his fight with Joshua was, saw both guys hit the, hit the floor, was a really good fight. Looking at the other WBC heavyweight rankings, if it's not White, if it's not Brazil, I bet you it could be Charles Martin, who you might remember for being the guy who first handed the heavyweight title to Anthony Joshua. He's eighth, has fought no nothing resembling a fighter, let alone a heavy bag, since his return. He's been fighting six rounders and has fought no one near a world-class opponent. If they really wanted to give Wilder a rollover, it'll be Charles Martin. Let, let's let's be open minded. If it's if it's Brazil, that's a pretty decent fight. I don't think it's a great fight, but it's a decent fight. Uh, considering the heavyweight division is so top heavy, it's very good in the top five from six through fifteen. It's not as strong, but uh, we'll see. If if they're willing to take a shot with Brazil, that's a little more interesting. Charles Martin wouldn't be good at all, but that that's how that stands. Very impressed on the undercard with uh, Jose. I'm make sure I get this right. I think it's Yukatagi, uh, who impressively dispatched Andre Durrell in their uh, rematch of their controversial fight here in Maryland, where I thought Yukatagi was ahead of Durrell. Durrell did what Durrells do, which as soon as the going gets tough, they find a way out. Fell to the floor uh, on a punch that was right at the bell, I thought. And then everyone knows the story about uh, Durrell's uncle coming in and punching Yukatagi. This was the rematch because the referee disqualified Yukatagi. What he probably should have went to the scorecards. Had he went to the scorecards, 
Yukatagi was slightly ahead, he would have won. So instead of a uh, a decision win for Yukatagi in the first fight, which would have made him a uh, top contender in the IBF super middleweight division, he, he got the DQ loss. But the IBF did say that he thought the referee messed up, so they had a mandated rematch. And I thought Yukatagi looked like he... Could be more than a match for anybody in the 168-pound division. He looked that good against Andre Durrell, who really, I think it's about time for Andre Durrell to consider retirement. But put that aside, I think you could take, he's gonna, you could put him in with so many of these guys at 168 and make really good fights. Uh, the IBF champion right now is Caleb Truax off his upset of James DeGale. They're going to have a rematch here in April. The winner of that has got to fight Yukatagi. I was once very high on James DeGale. I'm not quite so high after that mediocre effort against Caleb Truax. I would make Yukatagi the favorite against both those guys. I think Yukatagi against anybody in the division would be fun fights. Uh, Gilberto Ramirez, David Benavides, uh, Callum Smith, George Groves. I think this guy could be competitive against any of those guys and has the ability to beat him, any of those guys. I'm not going as far to say he would be guaranteed to beat any or all of them, but he's right there. And considering that this is a guy that has losses to Matt Korobov, he's really improved his game. He stepped his game up since moving up to the 168-pound division and really like what I saw from Jose Yucategui and want to see more of him. Look forward to seeing him fight for the title. This was for one of those wonderful interim titles. And this will be... I, I look forward to seeing him fight again, especially against really, really good competition. Um, just going to give a quick little shout-out over to the HBO side of that night. Dimitri Bivol won every round against Sullivan Barrera, and what I really liked is he stepped on the gas and took Sullivan Barrera out in the 12th round. It would have been very easy for him to say, I've won every round, I'm going to box, and instead he finished the fight strong. have to like what you saw from Dimitri Bivol. It wasn't necessarily always... Uh, aesthetically thrilling outing, but it was a dominant outing against a very good top 10 level light heavyweight. Would love to see more of Bivo, especially at the top. Love to see him against Kovalev for, uh, in a unification bout or Arthur better be having a unification bout. Uh, people that listen to me on fight heads know that I'm a big Sergey Kovalev fan. Second squash match in a row. As he fought, let me, let me make sure I get this uh, gentleman's name right, uh, Igor Milhalkin, an, another fighter from Russia. Uh, I, I realize Sergei's rebuilding himself after the Wilder loss. Or, not Wilder, Andre Ward, sorry, WW. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's two squash matches in a row. I want to see him against somebody better this time. I, I don't believe in cutting... Cutting breaks to even fighters I really like, and I'm a huge Kovalev fan, but this two squash matches in a row, I would like to have seen somebody in the ring a little better than Milhaukin, but sometimes guys just don't want to fight, so it makes it a little difficult, but the light heavyweight division has some good quality guys as contenders. I'd like to see Kovalev's next fight has to be against somebody real. It can't have another squash match. Then i got to get critical of him, and I don't want to do that. Uh, because I'm a fan, like I said, but I want to see I want to see competition. I want to see good fights, and and I don't know if HBO wants to see Bivo Kovalev yet. It might be one of those old Bob Arum uh, marinade things. 
They may be pushing it if it's Kovalev Bivol now, but they may not have a choice. With Better BF being with top rank, and then the W uh, the WBC champion is still Adonis Stevenson, who can't leave Canada, and with PBC, so they may not have a choice but to try to get that done soon. But I, I'd like to see Kovalev against somebody, so, somebody that can fight back. The number one contender in his company in his uh, organization is Marcus Brown, who's a PBC fighter, big, long, rangy. Uh, could give people problems, but I physically, but I remember Marcus Brown on a PBC card and I can't think of who he fought and I had him losing and it was just an awful decision early in his career and I I just have a feeling that when somebody tags Marcus Brown that's going to be the end of that because I'm not, I mean, I watched that I'm looking up the name right now oh yes, now now I remember it was I knew it was a uh, fighter from Europe Uh, Radislav Kalajic, I think is how I'm reading this. And he he won a split decision that he had no business winning. And in a stunning development, a PBC guy didn't give somebody a rematch. <laughs> They're like, holy hell, uh, we, who the hell's this guy? And they got lucky. And see, that's the thing about boxing that you hate so much is that could have made this guy's career. And instead... He goes right back to never, never heard from him again. And, you know, Marcus Brown gets a bogus decision and he's going to be fighting for a championship soon. So, uh, I guess it could be, the WBO could mandate Wilder. Or, uh, damn, why the hell do I keep seeing Wilder? I keep look, I'm looking at my cheat sheet. That's the problem. Uh, <laughs> mandate Kovalev versus Brown. Which I guess would have to be on HBO. Al Heyman would have to let Brown come over, but you know that's you know, an interesting fight. But I got a feeling that Brown's chin's going to do him in there. He was knocked down by uh, in, in the fight that I referred to. Uh, I'm probably but- butchering his name. I got a feeling that the crusher would mow through Marcus Brown pretty easily. Um, Quick preview tonight, just watched on uh, Showbox, Regis Program. Boy, did he look good at mowing through Julius Andongo. I, I hope I picked up on this where I left off. I, I just had to turn the heat off. My God, that was so loud. My head's thumping. Uh, I think I was talking about Regis Program against uh, Julius Andongo. And, boy, he just steamrolled it. Four knockdowns in two rounds. Sometimes, uh, and you, you'll see this at the... Uh, I'm, Wrote, a, wrote about this in a blog about this fight. Sometimes guys take a beating in a fight and it just affects their ability to take a shot after that. And we may have seen that with Julius Ndongo. Terrence Crawford might have ruined him. I mean, he, it looked like a completely different fighter. He uh, didn't take punches well. The leg You could see the legs wobbling and buckling. I mean, he was a late replacement. But at the same time, he looked like a guy that might, he might have been ruined by Terrence Crawford. Sometimes, and here you know, here's another thing: we always look at these tall, wiry fighters, uh, and they usually wind up being really big punchers. But when they are, it seems like those guys don't take a shot as well, too. And I'm not sure why that is, but it does seem that way more often than not. So. Uh, 
it was a really impressive win for Program against a you know a guy who just this time last year held two of the four belts in the uh, junior welterweight division. So really impressive win for him picking up one of those ridiculous interim titles. That's just how stupid the WBA is. We had a fight tonight for the WBC interim title. They haven't even filled the regular title yet. That comes uh, in a few weeks uh, when Jose Ramirez against, uh, I think it's Amir Imam. And on, on that's all the top rank ESPN card. That means that Progra will fight the winner of that. Boy, Progra against Jose Ramirez. That ought to be a really, really good fight. Two good, undefeated young fighters. That would be, I think, a lot of fun to watch. As I uh, move the uh, the stand, I think that would be a lot of fun. I think that would be a really fun fight. It'd be an action fight between two young guys. It would be really to walk forward and lay it down. I think that would be a really good fight. Regis Progra and Jose Ramirez. I'll go as far as to say if they have that fight before the end of the year, that might be that's got fight of the year chance. That's got fight of the year potential. Regis Progra against Jose Ramirez. Let's not put the cart ahead of the horse, though. You have uh, Ramirez still has to get by Amir Aman. But, boy, I'm, I'm just sitting here, and I'm excited about Progra against Ramirez. Uh, he looked that good. And uh, the other fight on the card was Ivan Baranchik moved up to get me a, a mandatory in the uh, junior waterweight division for uh, the winner of Mikey Garcia, Sergey Lipinets tonight. He basically ran right over Peter Petrov. Petrov's a guy that's fought for lightweight titles twice, but... Came in on a week's notice. It was he just didn't have the strength against the bigger guy. Couldn't hold him off. Was knocked down a few times, but it, it, he just there was a physical difference in strength. One guy was a natural uh, junior welterweight. The other guy's a natural lightweight. Just a big difference in, in strength there. Uh, Baranchik, like I said, will will fight be the mandatory for the winner of the Garcia Lipinets fight, which I. What I how I see this playing out is Garcia will beat Lipinets. There's no money in fighting Baranchik. I think he'll give up his. I think he'll vacate the title, and Baranchik will wind up fighting for the vacant title, which was just filled by Lipinets in his last fight. It's, all these belts and all this stuff. It's quite a mess. It used to be guys stuck around in a division for a while. Now it's all about winning a belt more than it is defending it. Uh, in that fight, I mean, I think Mikey Garcia is the the more natural, he's the natural favorite. I think he wins against Lipinets. I think it'll be could be very similar uh, to when he won the lightweight title against. Uh, I can never get this guy. It doesn't matter. Uh, Dejan, I think it's the Clantinian. Some of these guys, I butcher their names a little bit until I see them enough. They all blur together for me a little bit. The uh, the uh, old Soviet Republic fighters. They. Uh, Blur together for me. I think it'll be that kind of fight. But if it's close, if it's controversial, uh, with everyone's favorite lapdog referee, Lawrence Cole, doing a fight. The deal with Lawrence Cole is, if it's a big fight in Texas, Lawrence Cole does the fight. Because his dad is the president of the Texas State Athletic Commission, and, you know, it's just the cost of doing business. You want to have a big fight in Texas? Then my son's the referee. Uh, that it's it's stuff like that that make you just roll your eyes about boxing. But what do you do until until we have somebody that has the kind of power and can 
slam the uh, hammer down, you're going to see this kind of stuff happen. But you know what? Other sports have guys that can slam the hammer down, and they stink too. I mean, you want Roger Goodell running boxing? How about Gary Bettman? I wouldn't hire these guys to manage a subway. But uh, that'll be an interesting fight on Showtime. And I was really looking forward to the fight from top rank, which is going to be... uh, Oscar Valdez, Scott Quigg for the WBA feather, WBO featherweight title. Scott Quigg comes in three pounds overweight. So the fight, if it even happens, will not be for Valdez's title. Valdez can only lose it. Quigg cannot win it. When did it become so unprofessional to not make weight in boxing? I guess, I, I, I just don't understand it. I mean, I'm sure it's always happened to a certain degree, but... This is where I I know boxing looks at the weigh-ins and says, you know, it's for the safety of the fighters, they weigh in the day before. I always thought it was better to have weight, the weigh-ins the day of. It gave everybody an extra period of time to make sure that you made the weight. Day. I mean, Quig would have had an extra 24 hours to make the weight. I mean, I'm not saying he would have, but he could have had an extra day to try. And But I understand the argument, well, it's about the health of the fighters. He would have been weakened coming in the ring. I, I get it. It is about the he- I get the health of the fighters part. At the same time, and last I heard, they were they were they may be fighting. They were probably going to fight, but the title wasn't on the line for Quig. But that wasn't a guarantee, so I haven't heard anything further about that. But I was really looking forward to that fight too. And and, and you got to blame the fighter, and you got to blame his team. And, and then and Scott Quig ridiculously said, "Well, I plan on fighting a featherweight after this. Why would anyone?" Count on you to make weight when you were three pounds over the weight class limit. Why on earth would you even count on Scott Quigg to show up and be reliable? I that, that stuff drives me nuts more than anything. You know, you sign a contract, you have an idea, you especially know how it's going to be. Make the weight. Make the weight. There should be no excuses. Make the weight. Uh... Just wanted to real quick uh, uh, change gears to uh, today's Cleveland Browns three trades. Uh, they're all written about on thoughtsofrs.blogspot.com. You can read my thoughts on the trades. I actually, I really like them. Uh, I, I think the Browns overpaid a little bit for Tyrod Taylor, giving up a, the first pick of the third round. Um, but they underpaid, I thought, for Jarvis Landry, giving up a fourth in the uh, 2018 draft and a seventh in the 2019. So just consider it, you know, a wash that you overpaid for one, underpaid for the other. And then they traded uh, Deshaun Kaiser, who they drafted in the second round last year, and for uh, cornerback uh, Green with Green Bay for uh, cornerback, I want to make sure I, I pronounce his name correctly. I'm looking up how to... Demarius Randall. I kept thinking Demetrius. See, we have Demetrius in boxing. Demarius Randall. And both teams flip-flop their fourth and fifth picks. So the Browns drop down in rounds four and round five, but they don't lose their picks. They basically uh, changed picks. So it's basically the Browns traded 101 and 138 for 115 and 150. Um... I feel that Deshaun Kaiser got a really raw deal from the Cleveland Browns, and I wrote about that uh, further on the blog. They gave him no weapons. They gave him no help. They gave him a supposed quarterback guru who has done as a play caller and a quarterback whisperer, which is one of those uh, 
cute little terms everybody's using now. They they did him absolutely no good. No veteran quarterback to help help him through it. No reliable receivers. Other, uh, no veteran receivers to help him through. They they really did the guy a disservice. And I I, I thought he handled it for such a young guy. I thought Kaiser handled it with a lot of class. For considering the situation that the Cleveland Browns stuck him in. And I think the Cleveland Browns did him a favor by letting him go. By trading him to Green Bay. He'll have a chance to go to a team where he can sit for a couple years. Learn from Aaron Rodgers. Get the time to uh, learn and ripen on the vine that he didn't get from the Browns. And a chance to maybe move on from any uh, damage that's been caused to his psyche from this. And uh, I, I think it's, it's good for the Browns. Because they were able to add a very good corner in, or a good corner in Demarius Randall. The the jury's out just how good because I've been reading different things. that he played very well in the second half, not so well in the first half. But they got a nice corner and they gave Deshaun Kaiser a chance to go someplace to succeed, which I thought was the least they could do, considering they almost ruined the guy's career. Um, Tyrod Taylor is. Like I said, the reason I think it was a bit of an overpay is he's a free agent at the end of the year. You have to figure he's the bridge quarterback to whoever the Browns take in the first round. And that's okay, but I, I don't know I don't know if I'm thrilled about trading the first pick in the third round for a bridge quarterback. I, I thought that was a little high, but... Like I said, they got Jarvis Landry at such a bargain play, so you can't really quibble. I really like what John Dorsey's done today. I've heard some different rumors that they're not done yet. I've heard they are in the hunt for Earl Thomas of, of the Seahawks, who would be a tremendous addition to safety. I've heard they're in the run for uh, uh, the Honey Badger, Tyron Mateau, from the Cardinals, who want they want him to take a pay cut, kind of similar to the Browns had with Joe Hayden last year. Maybe they could pick him up. I've heard the Cardinals are one of the teams that are talking to the Browns about moving up to number four for a chance of a quarterback. Maybe that's the type of deal where you get some picks and you got Tyron Matteau. Uh, he's just a playmaker. I've loved him since he was at LSU. I, I would, even though he was coming into the league off of a off of a knee injury where he didn't play his last year at LSU, I was furious when the Browns didn't take him in the third round to take the immortal Leon McFadden. No, not Bobby McFadden. Don't you know? No. no uh, None of, uh, don't worry, be happy. I know that guy's name was Bobby McFerrin or whatever. Like it matters anyway. Where the hell is he at today? Could be dead for all I know. But uh, in, in all seriousness, I I really have always liked his game. and really wanted the Browns to take him when he came out of LSU, despite the knee injury and the Browns being the Browns' past. I, I think he's the kind of playmaker that I've been critical of uh, of. Jabril Peppers, but to be fair to him, I didn't like the pick. wasn't wild about the player, but they didn't give him a chance to, su- to succeed last year because they just had him too far off the line of scrimmage. He's a strong safety, not a free safety. And if they brought somebody in there that could play free safety and be a real playmaker, I, I think you could see a, a huge leap in the development of, J- of Jabril Peppers. And if not, then maybe he's just not a player and they made a mistake. But I'm willing to give him another year, considering the circumstances of this last year. So I really like what the Browns did yesterday. Give them, an, to me, a solid A. Only not They don't get an A-plus because they did trade the, thir- the three for Taylor. But nonetheless, look at what they did. They wound up walking away with a corner who's probably going to start, or at minimum be the third corner, 
They walked away as the guy's going to be their starting quarterback and arguably the best slot receiver in the league. He's not going to score. He's not a game breaker. He's not a uh, a huge. Uh, he's not a deep threat. But what he does is catch the football. He's the kind of guy that quarterbacks need. They are chain movers, eight yards, ten yards, twelve yards. The reliable guy with the good hands. I think he Jarvis Landry is as good as slot receiver as there is in the game. The Cleveland Browns got him. All of that for basically a three, a four, a seven next year. Uh, To me, that give John Dorsey an A plus. Can he? uh, I I, well, let's. I said A, not necessarily A plus because of the losing the third, but but he kept. All five of those first and second round draft picks, they still have maneuverability they could make. They could move up from 33, maybe to get a third player in the first round. They could perhaps wheel it. The other crazy thing is, is maybe all these people that are wondering, Saquon Barkley or a quarterback, maybe they could wind up with both. Maybe they could use those second round picks they managed to hold on to and uh, move up to the second slot. They could, there's so many, so much more maneuverability that John Dorsey has because he added and improved to his team today without trading those first and second round picks. So I think that was a hell of a job by John Dorsey today. I think that'll just about do it for um, the return of the Thoughts of RS podcast. Um, Don't forget, you can find my written work at thoughtsofrs.blogspot.com where we not just talk boxing, we talk uh, a lot of Cleveland sports. We also talk about uh, things in everyday life. Uh, cleaning out the inbox, which is uh, our feature where we look at just things that interest me in and out of the sports world. And we talk about a lot of stuff. Earlier this week, I did a post on the old USFL uh, Memphis Showboat. So it's not just a it's not just a Cleveland sports blog. It's not just a boxing blog. It's a, it's a lot of different things. So uh, hop on over there if you're a new listener and uh, give it a chance. And if you're an old listener and reader, like my man Fred Landucci, you're already there, so you already know, you already know what we have. So I hope you enjoyed uh, a little bit of Browns and boxing, and I've got a guest plan next week uh, on that supposedly be Monday, so uh, be able to bring him onto the show and have Ramon put that up. I hope you all enjoy that. His uh, name is Joe Werner. He writes the uh, Prospect Digest Handbook, and I, uh, on my old show, brought Joe on the show every year to talk minor league baseball and the prospects you know, in the various minor league systems, a brilliant guy who has a uh, different analytical system than uh, Baseball America. And it, what Joe does in a synopsis is, is he does, he's not quite a numbers guy and the quote unquote analytics guy, but he's also not quite a full scouting guy. He blends the approaches like nobody else does. I really love his book. When I, I depend on Joe's opinion more than I depend on anyone else's so hopefully you'll enjoy that show when i get it done next week hopefully you've enjoyed this uh menagerie of uh, mismatches in between me forgetting where we're at because of the jet engine sitting here in the uh, municipal airport so until next time i hope you enjoyed it thanks again to ramon malpica for giving me the uh forum and the chance to uh talk to you guys and hopefully we'll be able to ramon and i'll get together to do a fight heads real soon So until then, we'll see you later.